There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Your weekend home for all things sport. This is The Grill on Dubai Eye 103.8. Live from Barasti. Here's Tom Urquhart. Yeah, we're into the third and final hour of the show. We're live down here at Barasti where the game is always on. Good crowd in at Barasti tonight uh, watching La Liga on the big screen. You can also catch the FA Cup action down here. Uh, no shortage of entertainment, food and beverage, promotions and much, much more. Do stay abreast of everything that Barasti's up to throughout the course of 2020 at Barasti Beach. is one of the best places to do that. Or, of course, keep it locked here on Dubai I-103.8. We will certainly be down here for the forthcoming season uh, live between 6 and 9 every evening uh, talking all things sport. Ordinarily, we would, of course, focus on all things Premier League uh, but in the absence of Premier League today let's look at some of the developing stories out there at the moment let's go to La Liga uh, second half underway Monty what you tell us second half underway 46th minute and it's uh, Real Madrid leading Getafe 1-0 it was not a VAR decision but but a check for own goal and hence Rafael Varane has not scored for Real Madrid it's an own goal by David Soria the goalkeeper from Getafe uh, let's get to the cricket now still playing uh, Stumps has been drawn in Newlands in Cape Town. I can tell you South Africa has finished the day's play at 215 for eight. That's in reply to England's first inning score of 269. So I'd say England firmly in charge after a very strong final session in Newlands. South Africa do trail them by 54 runs, two wickets remaining. England will be looking to uh, knock over those final two wickets. They're just taking the second, the, the, the second new ball. So Jimmy Anderson's got that going around hoops again and picked up three wickets. Um, so if England can knock South Africa over in the morning and look to build a big lead in their second innings, they'll fancy their chances of, of squaring up the ser- series before the third test match in Port Elizabeth. Robbie G's got his uh, work cut out today. Why? Because there are no shortage of clashes and fixtures in the FA Cup third round. In fact, there are nine underway at the moment. Second half's just getting underway, Rob. Yeah, indeed. Lots of goals going in already in the second half. Brentford 1-0 up against Stoke City, Tom. It's still goalless between Brighton and Sheffield Wednesday. Carlisle United have got a 2-0 lead away to Cardiff City. It's 0-0 between Fulham and Aston Villa. Hartlepool have taken a lead against Oxford United. That one yet to get underway in the second half. Norwich are cruising against Preston North End. 3-0 to the Canaries. And Reading are trailing Blackpool by a goal to nil with the second half just having gotten underway. South Southampton labouring at Huddersfield Town, or at least at home to Huddersfield Town. Southampton, who have had such a great period in the Premier League, scoring 10 points from their four festive fixtures and getting some incredible scalps as well. I think, uh, did they beat Manchester United a few weeks ago? Watford, Tranmere, Watford 3-0 up against Tranmere Rovers. Uh, that's what's happening in today's FA Cup third round. We'll also be looking ahead to uh, tomorrow's and Monday nights as well uh, when Arsenal take on Leeds. That's going to be an absolute cracker of a game. Bizarrely kicking off at 7.56 to be precise over in the UK. That makes it uh, 11.56 here in the UAE. Um, they're taking it to new extremes. Make of that what old, you will, yeah. <laughs> not the old one past the hour or one past half the hour, but uh, 56, we'll do with that one. Uh, in the meantime, what's happening in the rugby? Mark Archer? Yeah, into the second half of the two uh, matches taking place live in the Gallagher Premiership. Gloucester have edged ahead of Bath, 12 points to nine, seven minutes into the second half. Danny Cipriani uh, has uh, added a penalty to tries by Jason Woodward and Freddie Clark. Saracens are looking well in control of their match against Worcester. They lead that 31 points to nil. They'll take the points there, but still so negative. They started today's play 12th position last in the Premiership uh, after 35-point deduction due to uh, salary cap violations. They're on negative 12. They're getting closer to be on zero again, Tom. You'll be happy to hear that. And result from earlier today at Welford Road. Leicester Tigers had a win against Bristol, 31 points to 18. No shortage of Premier League teams in action uh, late, later on this evening. 9.31 kickoffs in the remaining games. Uh, five of them for you. Bournemouth in action against Luton. Uh, Leicester, high-flying Leicester taking on Wigan. Uh, also, we've got an all-Premier uh, League affair. Wolves taking on Manchester United. Pick of the round probably uh, for many. Fleetwood against Portsmouth and Man City against Port Vale. Uh, lest we forget the Premier League, it won't be 
be long before we are discussing all things Premier League. In fact, if you're looking for a home to watch your Premier League, uh, be you a supporters club, be you uh, a fan of a team, then make sure you may head on down to Barasti. Uh, they've got it on the big screen, but also 20-plus screens around here. Uh, it is the best home for you to watch your football team in uh, HD glory throughout the course of the coming season. Uh, but talking of uh, managers, uh, they just never go away, do they? Even if the FA Cup tries to creep up behind them and take all the headlines, it's still the managers in the Premier League clubs who are, are making the headlines. Uh, we're going to get in the thoughts of the boys on a certain Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's latest press conference in a few moments' time. He's been, well, lest we say he's been goaded a little bit, OK? He's been pushed a little bit. He's been stoked up a little bit by a certain... Uh, Robin Van Persie. Let's hear what Van Persie had to say first. Well, indeed, that is a blow to Manchester United. He talked there about bouncing back. <laughs> Again, that's what they keep on having to do. When I listen to Ole, um, he, he sounds like a really nice guy, you know. But I would like to see him a bit more edgy, a bit more mean at times. Angry? You know? Some, Yeah, sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's part of his job as well, you know. Just be angry. I see him smiling now after a game like that, you know. This is not the moment to smile. I understand what you're saying, and, and you want a reaction in the change room. And the, and the difference is there might be a different Oli in the change room, and that's what you're hoping probably, but there's a different side to Oli. I know that he can be very cut for a very cold, very, uh, with things he says to players can be very cutting when he was a player, and I'm sure he'll be similar to that as a manager. Um, but I just, I just, Manchester United need consistency. You said about they've not won f- uh, three games on the bounce, uh, on yeah. the bounce since Oli's been there. That's what they need to get towards. That's a championship winning teams, teams that, that are uh, competing for titles, have consistency, have big runs of games where they don't lose for, for 10, 15, 12 games. This is what Man United need to get to. We'll get on to reaction to those comments in a few moments' time. However, there is a bit of drama down in La Liga. Let's get the latest, Monty. Uh, it's Rafael Warani involved once again with the second goal for Real Madrid. However, this time I can confirm it is a VAR check. And um, hopefully Rafael Warani gets the, a deserved goal because it looks like he really wants to score tonight. So Robin Van Persie has a pop at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's management style. Um, he's then backed up to a certain degree by another Manchester United legend in Rio Ferdinand. And yet... Oli only put, chooses to pick on one of them during his press conference. Well, indeed, yes. And, and I think what he was saying, you know, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, jovial in his demeanour after that defeat to, to Arsenal. And it was an awful performance. Manchester United just didn't turn up at the Emirates. Arsenal, impressive winners in that game by, by 2-0. And you talk about consistency. Manchester United losing to Watford, winning impressively, impressively at home to Newcastle, away to Burnley, and then coming down to Arsenal by two goals to nil. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, does he have enough cutthroat? Is he ruthless enough to be a successful Premier League manager. This is what he had to say in response, though, to Robin Van Persie's comments. Robin Van Persie was quite scathing. Like you personally, after the little awareness, that you shouldn't be smiling after the <laughs> I don't know Robin. Robin doesn't know me. He probably doesn't have a right to criticise my management style, and I won't change. That's definite in Robin. Yeah, he took my number 20, and that's probably all he's going to take from me as well. Because I'm not in the med- medieval times. The funny thing about that was that he laughed in response to that. The very thing that Van Persie said he should be doing less of. He started that response with a, a bit of a chuckle. So perhaps that's a that's just a, almost like a tick, a, a managerial. You know, these managers, some like scratching their head, some sort of scratch the old chin. Oli Gunnar Solskjaer, perhaps when he readies himself for an interview, likes to, to have a, a little grin and a laugh with, uh, with his questioner because he, he is a cheerful guy. Um, and... Uh, I don't think he was the right choice for Manchester United manager when he was appointed. I haven't changed my opinion on that. Chris has an even more vehement opinion on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's credentials as Manchester United manager. Manchester United have not been clinical and ruthless in their decision-making. They could have moved for Mauricio Pochettino if they, if they were thinking long-term and if they really wanted. I know they've coveted him in the past. They, they've stuck with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. They, in, the, in the decision always that confronts a football club as to whether to stick or twist, they've stuck with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, seemingly at least until the end of the season. And, uh, the, the, you know, the, 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 the play, the, the, the consistent results from Manchester United just aren't there. They're good one week, they're poor the next. They haven't figured out how to win against the, the lesser teams that play with this so-called low block where they, they seem to struggle 
where you need the guile and the creativity and the ingenuity that, that teams like Liverpool and Manchester City have cracked that code. Manchester United simply haven't done that. And uh, I think a manager with more wherewithal, more savviness than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might, might be able to do that. But, um, uh, you know, Robin van, Ker- van Persie's got his opinion and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is going to be subject to, to all sorts of opinions, not least from the likes of former players like Van Persie, like Rio Ferdinand. I think RVP wants his job, doesn't he? I think know? maybe. Maybe he is Ole's after running scared there. The other thing that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is sick about talking about is, um, is Paul Pogba. Because Paul Pogba has become such a, a, a toxic presence at Manchester United. Even the fact, the fact he hasn't really been playing. He made a brief comeback. He then re-injured himself. He's been out for the vast majority of the season. He's now got a new ankle injury. Mino Raiola, his agent, has now been making headlines for saying that he'll never deal with Manchester United again. He'll never send another one of his players to Manchester United. He said they could ruin Maradona, they could ruin Pele, they could ruin uh, Maldini. And uh, it's become a very uh, a, a very sort of difficult situation because Paul Pogba has remained silent throughout all this. The expectation is that he will be moved on and they've just gotten on without him. And Ole Gunnar Solskjaer questioned about Paul Pogba, his injury and the comments of Mino Raiola. A little tetchy this from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Take a listen. I can speak to Paul about it. I, I don't think I should be uh, talking about or talking to agents or about agents that talk about us. But Paul is our player and uh, agents are hired by players and not the opposite way around. He's not agents' players, it's our players. Did he express his satisfaction to Paul about that situation? Well, what me and Paul are talking about, I don't have to uh, talk uh, to you about. That's That would be between us. Well, you said you don't think you should be speaking about agents. Do you think that agents should speak about clubs? No. Do you think it would help with... Paul would speak because a lot of fans have been asking the questions and season ticket holders haven't seen him play that much this season. He's a, he's a big draw. Would that help? Paul's very committed to coming back, playing well for us, and uh, it's hard when you're injured to go and talk about all sorts. I think his talking needs to be uh, when he comes back on the pitch. That's the most important thing that uh, we get him fit, get everyone fit, get Scott back fit, every player, and but. You are uh, asking me about Paul all the time, so that's why I answer. Can you understand about... why, though? Because he's the record signing. Yeah, he's a top player. Just... Of course, it's uh, he's a very, very good player that we uh, we've missed this season. But I think the boys have done really well without him. So, so then, let's go on. Okay, that's, that's been that's been enough about Paul. Just getting a little fed up, a little flustered. I'd get there. fed up, though. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, you're absolutely right, but he. He comes across as a little naive, a little green in that interview, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, in the way that he shuts down these journalists. Alex Ferguson, I, I suspect, if that he wouldn't have allowed that to, to rumble on. He said, I've said enough about Paul Pogba. I've said what I'm going to say, and I'm moving on. And there are no more questions about that. And I just get the feeling that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is being picked at by these journalists, and he's showing his irritation. He's showing... Um, the, the fact that he's getting flustered. Now, I'm not saying that that has any direct impact on Manchester United's results on the pitch, but what I do think it means is that it shows a lack of decisiveness and it shows that it's Paul Pogba in control and not Manchester United. Pogba is clearly speaking through his agent. Pogba has authorised Mino Raiola to make these comments and um, or clearly he's OK with it. He hasn't come out to say, my agent was out of order. He's kept silent. So... You know, Mina Raiola has now become this disruptive presence of antagonising Manchester United. You're talking about one of, if not the biggest clubs in world football. I personally think it's Real Madrid. Chris might say that it was Manchester United. But that being said, it just shows a bit of cluelessness on the part of Manchester United. It's indicative of how rudderless they've become under the Glazers, under Ed Woodward and under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Interesting situation the last couple of days. Obviously the transfer windows opened up and we're still waiting for these really big transfers to take place in the Premier League. Will, they, will, will some of the big clubs try and double down and find some extra players to come in? We know how difficult it is doing business in January. But we saw the, I think it was a Norwegian player, Haaland, yeah, Haaland. who from, yeah. from, from uh, one of the Red Bull sides. Red Bull Salzburg. And yeah. obviously there's a, there's a direct relationship with Solskjaer via nationality. He's a, he's a, he's a Riola uh, player, player and yep. you would have thought you know United would be in with a decent shout of picking up the 18 year old who's been in fine form in the in, in, in the league in Austria I think yep. but also very good in the Champions League I think he scored six to eight goals in yep. sort of a dozen matches so you would have thought United when they go in for a player a ru- again rumours and allegations that they were in for him 
ends up signing at Borussia Dortmund. And you, you think, no disrespect to Dortmund, United are a bigger club. Yeah. Albeit not having, maybe not having Champions League football. But obviously there's an agent part of that to play about why he may have gone where he ended up and maybe a few other factors. But it's just interesting that the influence these, these top agents do have and where they do get sort of manipulating the situation for, for themselves. But uh, worth watching that space because um, the, the, the power broker agents are an important part of the, of the football business, unfortunately. Yeah, I think also the, the players who are now under Man United's radar during the transfer, transfer window uh, for next season maybe is James Madison, Jack Grealish and Jadon Sancho. They are the ones who have been spoken about who could probably join Manchester United. But again, high hopes. Uh, and um, I mean, as United fan, I think we, we, we don't need to keep any high hopes anymore because the last four or five years, we've heard the same story again and again and again that we want to go for this player and they lose out on. So uh, there's obviously a problem coming from the top and that needs to be sorted out ASAP. I think you're right. Uh, the transfer window is going to be fascinating in what the next uh, 26 days or so before it shuts close. Uh, I wonder one man um, that you've also been listening in to, uh, Mikel Arteta, um, what he's going to be doing in the transfer window. Is there much he can do? Well, yeah, I think um, for him, the, the key thing, Tom, was, was getting Arsenal motivated to play and to compete and to, to show a bit of determination. That the, the, the Gunners had, had really lacked those fundamental, and you'd think it would be a basic requirement for a Premier League team to, to, to give it their all and to, and to be gritty and to, to, to not give up in games. But Arsenal had patently been doing that under Unai Emery, and there has been a dramatic impact. I think it might be a while before Arteta's sort of footballing principles are shown through and get to shine through. But tactically, they look more astute. They look more up for it. Mesut Ozil put in a great performance against Manchester United. He went from being booed off to being given a standing ovation when he was substituted. And following that draw, they lost to Chelsea, but that was a bit tenuous. They looked good in that game against Chelsea, certainly in the first half. They put in the, 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 a great performance against Man United and got to Arsenal's and Mikel Arteta's first win under his tenure. He was asked about his transfer transfer plans and whether he wants to bring in some fresh blood to liven the squad up and this is what he had to say. Um, that we're going to try to be in the market to see options that can strengthen the team. That's for sure and that's our obligation and we're going to be working on that. My obligation is to give my opinion on the things that we can improve. Obviously we have some bad injury with Callum uh, a few days ago that obviously is going to change our plans at the back um, but the reality at the moment is that we're not going to be able to do much, you know. I'm more concerned at the moment to get people back from injuries, you know, than the, the signing and try to improve the players that I have here, get everybody on board, understanding what we're trying to do. And if something extra comes up and we think it's the right opportunity to improve what we have, let's do it. What is the situation with Callum Chambers? Do you have an update? Yeah, he's in London. He's uh, having a surgery. And uh, we will know more after that this afternoon when uh, he comes back from theatre. What's your, what's your gut feeling? Is he going to be out for the rest of the season? I don't know, but uh, obviously it will be a significant injury. We will see once they've gone in there um, what the doctor said. But, uh, but yeah, he's not looking good. So, managers with plenty of questions to be answered, uh, not just for the FA Cup third round, uh, but for the forthcoming season as well. Uh, this time last week, uh, Arch, myself, Chris McCarty and a number of listeners were trying to pinpoint uh, some of the sporting highlights, not just the last 12 months, but the last decade as well. Uh, it's good to see that the Premier League have been doing their bit as well. A lot of people coming up with their surveys of the best moment of the Premier League over the last 10 years, best player of the Premier League, best goal of the Premier League over the last 10 years. I'm not going to post that to the boys around here at the table. But I am going to ask them to listen in to this, because I think what we've seen there and what we've seen throughout the last nine years of the grill uh, is that we love managers. I know that you might hate them at time. You've got to love them or loathe them, but we do love managers. And the Premier League has had some of the best. You've been here often enough. For you to ask that question, I think you're either being very, very silly or you're being absolutely stupid. Apart from you and Manuel Pellegrini, every other manager is saying, no, we, we can't win the title, we're not contenders. It's fear to fail. You know, he's a specialist in failure. Uh, I'm not. The fans are shouting every week, Louis Vergaal's army! <laughs> Louis Vergaal's army! I am a positive guy. I still think I'm the best coach in the Premier League. 
So I'm a totally normal guy. I'm, I'm the normal one, maybe, if you want this. Oh, good afternoon. Hi. I am Unai Emery. How are you? What will that do, Sean, for your, your title fight now? Title fight? Get in there! Get in there! You beauty! Come on, you! Love that! I didn't say it. No headlines. I did not say we're in a title fight. We are in Champions League, man. Dilly din, dilly dong. Come on! There's an awful lot of players at this club who earn far too much money. I find a player last week and he was earning more than anybody was earning at Tottenham. He's been fined two weeks' wages. I think, yeah, he got fined £130,000. Which ain't too bad for two weeks, is it, really? <laughs> and I won more premierships alone than the other 19 managers together. Three for me and two for them. Respect, 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 man, respect, respect. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you're, you, you, are, you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. No one wants to be a fullback as a kid. No one wants to grow up and be a Gary Neville. <laughs> thank you will never, ever be enough. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I love you all. You have been the most fantastic experience of my life. Thank you. No, no, usually I have a, a second one, but until now I couldn't find it because it's really difficult to s looking for glasses without glasses. <laughs> <laughs> this is more than just watching football. It's a way of life. He's a bit like a burglar in your house and you don't know which room he's in. He really is, honestly. You'd be he... under the bed. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably be a burglar. <laughs> we never stand still. We always give youth a chance and we try and play attractive football. Sometimes we don't win, but we give it our all. So keep supporting us and the good times will come back soon. I've been dreading this moment and the reason being is because I'm going to miss it so much. Uh, I've loved every minute of it and I'm absolutely devastated. I'm never going to play in front of these supporters again. If that's a player giving it their all, Man United are in bigger trouble than I even think, and I think they're in huge trouble. I think they're just, uh, by this time, I think that they've just been running to the ground. Oh, Gary, Gary, it's, it's two yards, man. It's, I guarantee if you'd done the same, do you think we'd be telling you off? If you didn't close somebody, <laughs> well, of course we would. You'd tell me off anyway. It was on the lines, yeah, but it wasn't the whole of the ball. You could see once the Tech Nine, Tech Nine Lentology. I think he was trying to say technology. It's a joke. We've gone about VAR this, VAR that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly, we play in the Premier League. The best league in the world, the most watched league in the world. Give them all the help they need, because clearly it cost us two points a day. It's a joke. I think the referee, to be fair, bottled it on a few occasions. There's a handball right at the end with uh, uh, Nate. So, you know, um, I'm not one to hammer refs, you lot know that, but he bottled it on a few occasions today. Last year, the third captain was Mr. Mike Smalling. Chris, could I... Oh, Chris, sorry. <laughs> do, you, do you only think I could drink more? Uh, Black and Decker. Black and Decker to destroy the wall, because it was... <laughs> He can't take it, can he? He can't take it, he just can't take it because we've out-tacticed him, we've out-witted him. No, it's, like, it's like having a choice of two blokes and knit your wife. <laughs> and then, of course, the ball, that's how it is, huh? Shot, brilliant free kick, and, and they fought the header. Unbelievable. Steady with the language, Jürgen. Oh, yeah. You have a beep or whatever, or I'll be live. We are not live. And just finally, would you assess Liverpool as a potential title winner this season? Couldn't care less. <laughs> they are good, though, aren't they? They are good. Are they good, or just the, 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 the press conference that make them good? Uh, I think there have been some incredible characters among the Premier League managers. I think Jose Mourinho's arrival the decade before last, and that's a weird thing to say, but back in 2004, that really, he, he changed the culture, I think, of press conferences. He made it more pantomime. Yeah. He made it a little bit more um, managers can, can build their own profile and become their own celebrities. And, and Jose Mourinho sort of brought that into the Premier League. And, you know, Alex Ferguson was always historically very acerbic in his press conferences and, and would definitely give short shrift to journalists that, that, that annoyed him or he was perceived to have been slighted by. But... Some great characters. Jurgen Klopp is, is just incredible. I think um, 
he he is uh, and he calls himself the normal one there's nothing normal about that guy he's uh, <laughs> he he really is if you're a liverpool fan you just even non liverpool fans cannot help but love yeah. jürgen klopp yeah. and the impact that he's had and, and pep guardiola a strange individual but someone who's had probably a bigger impact on english football as gary lineker was just saying on twitter than anyone else who's come in in terms of changing the style it's had a trickle down effect look at the england team look at the way they play football under Gareth Southgate there's no doubt that Pep Guardiola and his arrival in English football and the influence that he's had on the likes of Raheem Sterling has had an influence on that and uh, yeah I could listen to Louis van Gaal all day long in his <laughs> press conferences there have been some goodies if you can think of any other suggestions feel free to get them through to us let's just turn our attention quickly to what's happening over in Fra- in uh, not France uh, over in Spain at the moment Real Madrid in action uh, it's 2-0 uh, to Real Madrid at the moment 71 minutes gone uh, in the second half and a goal from Rafael Warane in the second half for Real Madrid. A great header across from Tony Cruz. Two games in Spanish La Liga last night. Uh, Real Valladolid shared the points with Leganes. And Sevilla were at home to Athletic Bilbao at the Athletic Club. And this is what happened. For Sevilla in the Pizjuan, their first game of 2020 ends in a draw. It was... Uh, Jesus Navas' 500th game in a Sevilla shirt, an incredible record. But on a night that he would have wanted to mark with a victory, well, it started very badly. And the capper on 15 minutes, playing as a right wing back these days for Athletic Club, and he opened the scoring. Sevilla almost responded with this goal direct from a corner, but Eva Benega's effort comes back off the top of the crossbar. They played much better in the second half, Sevilla. Luke de Jong came on at half-time and really made a difference, and that was Munir going close, Uri clearing off the line. Williams threading this one through for Codro. He scores, but he was clearly in an offside position, so it stayed 1-0 to Athletic Club. And they came very close to making it 1-1 here. Luke de Jong onto the foot of the post from Navas's cross. Sevilla were getting closer and closer. Finally, the equaliser came. It's Navas' pass over the top of the defence and it's hooked across the face of the goal by Ocampos and turned in by Nunes, who's under pressure from De Jong. So an own goal from Unai Nunes. No question that the ball had stayed in play. And uh, Sevilla right back in it at 1-1. Um, and that was the way it finished in the pick one. Sevilla 1, Athletic Club 1. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. All right, we're going to turn our attention to what's going on in the FA Cup third round. An opportunity for us to get a better look at some of the teams in the lower divisions. Uh, One team that's really caught my eye throughout the course of the last couple of months is Brentford. I like what's happening down at Brentford at the moment. I'm going to ask uh, Robbie Greenfield what uh, they are doing today in just a few moments' time. Not, though, before we've heard from their manager. Uh, Impressive guy, this one, as well. Uh, I like what Brentford are doing. I like what Thomas Frank is doing. Yeah, 100%. I think last year we played um, Oxford in uh, in this round and it was a very difficult game and we won a late win um, with a penalty from, from Neil Mopé and then we went to play against Barnet. Um, first a crazy game, 3-3 at, at their ground and then coming back to us. So, And then the game at Twansey where we were totally on top of the game and then the, it flipped around. Um, but that's cup football and we look forward to the competition and um, yeah, I really like the FA Cup. You obviously have had a lot of games in short succession. Yeah. Um, do you take the opportunity here to give some players who've been pushing for a start a start, or do you just do it on a player by player basis? How do you decide how you're going to line up? Um, I th- as you said, I think it's it's a mix of various things. Uh, we had a, have had a really really busy sc- uh, schedule. Um, and compared to last year, um, we have at least, as I remember, at least one day less recovery okay. before the FA Cup game, which, which means a lot. Um, I think in general it's all mental, or most of it's mental, of course it's also physical, to keep pushing yourself uh, and keep going. But this will be the fourth game in a row with only two days between each game, which is a very minimum of, of recovery time for the players to be, be ready. Uh, those are the thoughts uh, of Thomas Frank, the manager at Brentford. How are they getting on? Well, they're winning um, and they're, they're leading against... Uh, they're beating Stoke City at the moment and they've, they're doing it without their lead striker, their top goal scorer for the season, Ollie Watkins. No side Ben Rama as well. He's the 
that the, the talent that has been lighting up the midfield for Brentford in the championship this season. So it is an understrength side, Tom, and they're currently uh, leading against Stoke City by a goal to nil as we hit the 75th minute of that third round FA Cup fixture. The goals have been pouring in elsewhere. Sheffield Wednesday, still a goal up against Brighton and Hove Albion. And uh, it's uh, a real dramatic turnaround this between Cardiff City and Carlisle United. Carlisle had taken the 2-0 lead through Jack Bridge and Harry McCurdy. Cardiff have come back into this. Callum Patterson in the 50th minute and Gavin White in the 55th, levelling things up there. So it's 2-2 between Cardiff and Carlisle United. Fulham have taken the lead against Premier League opponents Aston Villa. They lead 2-1 against the Villains there. So Dean Smith will not be a happy man in the slightest, nor will John Terry. Oxford United leading Hartlepool by 2-1. Norwich uh, cruising against Preston North End, 4-1 up in that one. It's 2-2 between Reading and Blackpool. Southampton have taken a while to get going but finally Southampton have taken the lead against Huddersfield Town 47th minute William Smallbone for the Saints so they lead 1-0 against Huddersfield and Watford they were 3-0 up against Tranmere Rovers Tranmere have got one goal back through Connor Jennings but Watford still have a 3-1 advantage in that game we will keep an eye on all of those scores for you in just a few moments' time. Uh, into the final half hour of the show, an opportunity for us to reflect on a couple of the other uh, big sports stories uh, of the last few days. A uh, new 2020 season has started with a new tournament uh, down in Australia. We'll reflect on some of the big stories uh, from the new ATP Cup in a few moments' time. Uh, this is what happened on day one of the tournament. Day one of the ATP Cup. 36 matches scheduled, and we didn't have to wait long for a classic. The first match in ATP Cup history taking place in Sydney and featuring what was nearly a monumental upset as Moldovan Alexander Kozbanov, in his first ever ATP match, served it up to Belgian journeyman Steve Darcy. Alexander Kozbanov digs deep, and the first match of the ATP Cup is going to a third and deciding set. The three-hour marathon featured plenty of momentum shifts as the world number 818 dug deep against the former top 40 veteran who held his nerve in the end. Belgium wins the first match of the first ATP Cup. That handed Belgium's top player David Goffin a chance to wrap up the tie on Ken Rosewall Arena. And he took it, wrapping up the tie in straight sets over Albot Radu. That will do nicely. David Goffin delivers for Team Belgium. So Belgium entered the doubles looking to take a clean sweep in the first tie of the ATP Cup. In their first taste of 2020 tennis, Joran Vilgian and Sandor Gilles got the job done. Uh, no shortage of talking points from the new to ATP Cup, uh, including anybody really understand the format of this one? Struggling a little. It is the first edition of this tournament. And I think... Um, so it's like a sort of Davis in Cup In layman's thing. terms, it's the Davis Cup in condensed format. Yeah. That's what it is. And it, I think um, it will have, if it's successful, it will have a dramatic impact on the Davis Cup. We've already got the Laver Cup, which has the flavour of an exhibition match about it. That's Roger Federer's brainchild, uh, with, along with Rod Laver, of course. And I think that's, that's a real legacy maker for Roger Federer. The ATP Cup is an ATP Tour initiative, and I think it's designed to bring a team element into tennis that is not as protracted, not as drawn out, not as um, not as convoluted as the Davis Cup. So it's it's short and it's sharp, and you get a result, you know, uh, from from the start of the week to the to, to the end of the week. And uh, I suppose there's a tee up for the for the Aussie Open as well. Uh, yeah, of course, building up to the to the first Grand Slam of the of the year down in Australia, down in Melbourne, and, and of course this taking place in Australia. So uh, yeah, I guess it just. Um, we're all trying to get used to it and, and trying to get used to the format, but there seems to be numerous groups, and um, <laughs> I, I'm not entirely sure exactly who goes through from what group. Tom, don't ask me about the permutations. <laughs> we're to. just we're just feeling our way through for this first instalment of the ATP Cup. Archie, love where, it. where it's become really confusing is the Davis Cup as we know it, which was sort of a year-long competition in groups and semi-finals and finals and relegation, changed format in 2019. So the organisation, the, the the World Tennis federation um that oversee the davis cup changed the format to a two-week event at the end of the year mm. and they, they condensed it for, for this purpose remember it's um barcelona footballer Giro pk has got the, the massive investment company yeah. that's put money into it and re- reformed it put all the commercial rights up and that now this is a new event along similar lines run by the atp tour so two different organizations so it's just becoming a bit 
difficult to follow, really, for the layman. And we do try and keep a track of these things, and it's confusing us. So there may be a time where maybe those two events should actually amalgamate. And because the tennis players argue year in, year out, they play too much tennis, yet they all play invitational events, all these players, and they do front up to the you know the, the, the certain events where there are big prize money, or they play these, these, these events here. And when we don't see some of the big players, like a Roger Federer, who's unavailable... Uh, for family reasons, he wants to spend more time with his family after you know, 20, 15 years on, on tour, which is understandable, pick and choose. So it'd be good to get them condensed, be maybe one showpiece, two-week event, the best of the ATP, this ATP format, and the best of the Davis Cup format. And then, then it might be worth actually understanding how it works and actually paying a bit more attention Rafa's to it. Rafa's down there, isn't he? he, he, he Novak. He led, uh, Novak's gone down as well, yeah, uh, after his uh, winter uh, here in the UAE. The other thing I think the talker that, that, that's come out of this one, and I know I got a bit of stick last year for being a champion of, of Nick Kyrgios, but he has shown he's got a heart, uh, or he, he has... Well, we know he's got a heart because he's, he wouldn't be where he is in the world at the moment. But uh, he's, he's won over a lot more fans with his initiative uh, that he brought in at the beginning of this tournament, which was to donate 200 Aussie dollars for every single ace that he hit during the tournament. He made four grand on the first day of the tournament mm. uh, thanks, to, thanks to that initiative. And then, was, uh, and then probably broke down into tears straight after in his interview as well. It, you know, he's not everyone's cup of tea, but it shows he it shows he's he, he, he's got a human heart. Yeah, totally. Uh, and there's always, I suppose, there's uh, there's always that cynicism amongst observers to say, is he doing this as a PR move? Is he doing it to sort of curry favour? I, I don't think he does really PR think, though, does he? Don't think that's Nick Kyrgios's style because I think when you criticise him for doing something where he's he you know he's acting like a, a bit of a buffoon. You have to praise him for doing something where no one prodded him, no one cajoled him. He came out. He's clearly uh, been deeply moved by what's going on down in Australia at the moment, by the government's antipathy towards, you know, seemingly and the antipathy towards the problem as well. And, and uh, you know, it's nice to see Kyrgios, and he's inspired a lot of other players yeah. to, to, to chip in and, and actually start to... I think Kvitova tweeted about it. I think some of the other men's tennis players have also made a pledge on number of aces. Kyrgios serves more than most. I mean, Kyrgios is, a, is an ace machine, so to, to make that donation, it, you know, he's going to serve a lot of those, and uh, you know, hopefully uh, he'll now have a whole new group of fans who are rooting for him to go deep in those tournaments just so that those, those, that donation figure will be will be ticking along but fair play to him yeah one thing that you do see at the beginning of the year and I know that everyone's got an eye on sort of big events coming up later on in the year and as you mentioned there the bigger uh, slam events in the world of tennis um, it's going to be a big year for, for golf fans uh, with the Olympics and some rather large tournaments as well to look forward to in this year uh, so that I suppose in terms of scheduling that's why you get these tournaments that I don't know enough about. I don't know if you guys know enough about, but maybe you can help me out with it. The Tournament of Champions in Hawaii. So how do you get into this? Is there a clue in the title? Well, this is the thing. Technically speaking, you have to have won a PGA Tour event from the season before. But surprise, surprise, Tom, there are some players that slipped through the net and haven't won a PGA Tournament from the season before. But it's kind of the PGA Tour's curtain raiser, you you could call it, even though it's not actually the official start of the PGA Tour season. It's the start of a new year on the PGA Tour. Okay, right. Golf is interminably confusing for me because the European Tour season starts four days after it finishes in November. <laughs> so we started the 2020 season in November of 2019. The PGA Tour has these in-between events as well. Um, the Web.com Tour kind of gets involved as well. So golf never really has a proper off-season, and I honestly think it should. I think it should have a couple of months where everything gets shut down from mid-November through to the sort of desert swing in January. And, and it'll actually heighten some golf fans appetites for a new season I believe I think it's all a bit it's all a bit mixed up and it's a bit convoluted and and golf could certainly take a leaf out of the ATP tours book in the way that they schedule and organize their tournaments but such is is the case with uh, with the PGA Tour it's the Century Tournament of Champions it's down in Hawaii every year Dustin Johnson's got a great track record down there it's played down in Kapalua and I'll give you a little update on the leaderboard since you mentioned it Xander Schofel who's become Mr. ATM machine on the PGA Tour he doesn't win too much but my god he, he gets and earns and banks a lot of checks on the PGA Tour to Xander Schofel he's nine under um, he's one shot ahead of Mr. Popular Patrick Reed, who uh, endeared himself to, to fans in Australia in, uh, in the President's yeah. Cup a very heated President's Cup which of course Tiger Woods captain the Americans to that dramatic victory over Ernie Els' international team a player on that international side was Joaquin Neiman the Chilean 
He's eight under par as well, alongside Patrick Reed. Ricky Fowler. What's happened to Ricky Fowler these last couple of years? He's kind of gone down a few pegs or two, has Ricky Fowler. He's seven under. Patrick Cantlay, news of which he's going to be playing in Abu Dhabi at the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship uh, in a couple of weeks' time. He's six under par. Justin Thomas, another stalwart on the PGA Tour, is six under as well. Don't ask me who JT Poston is, but he's five under <laughs> alongside he's a champion, Matthew Wolf. He certainly is. PGA and US, champ. US Open champion Gareth Woodland, who won at Pebble Beach last year. Gary Woodland, I should say, four under par. Um, John Rahm is the highest-ranked European Tour plays on the PGA Tour as well though but European Tour player of course winner of the Race to Dubai winner of the DP World Tour Championship he's four under par as well nice to see Graham McDowell playing some good golf he's three under you know that guy that scored the equaliser against Newcastle Wilbraham yeah Aaron Wilbraham um, he's 40 years old is he really there's hope for us all well maybe that's your second piece of remarkable trivia I just just popped up on there on to say 40 years old. That's a moment, isn't it? You know, scoring an equaliser to go to a, to a, to a, to a, to a, a replay against the Premier League club. A 40 game years at, old. Can get a game and get to replay at uh, St James's Park. There we are. Uh, 4001, if you'd like to send in your final thoughts, let us uh, take one final break. When we come back, we'll wrap things up. This is The Grill, live from Barasti, where the game is always on. Right, we're going to do our best Vidi Brenta impression in a few moments' time with all of the results from the games. Not though before Mark Archer wraps up on all things US. Yeah, sad news coming out of the US in the last couple of days. The 30-year-plus commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, passed away at 77 years of age. If you're asking who David Stern is, well, he is the man that made the NBA the global phenomenon that it is. He's the man that for 30 years took a a sport in disarray in the US, multiple leagues. He brought it all together. And for me, one of the, arguably one of the most important influential sporting uh, administrators of of the last century. He's probably, for me, made the NBA the, the, the primary international sporting league ahead of every other league. We talk about the Premier League. The NBA is the global league of all sports in China, in the USA, in Europe. So many international players play. And this is just a short tribute to what David Stern achieved in his career. The NBA wouldn't be the league it is today without David Stern. Working his way up the ranks, Stern was the organization's first general counsel and took the commissioner's post in 1984. Stern had the good fortune of inheriting Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and taking over just before the arrival of Michael Jordan. But television revenues were low and several franchises were in financial turmoil. So the new commissioner rolled up his sleeves and got to work. For the next 30 years, Stern presided over the league's skyrocketing growth. According to Forbes, the player's salary cap, which Stern helped to create, grew from $3.6 million to just under $59 million when he left office in 2014. Television revenues jumped from around $22 million to about $930 million. And franchise values from $400 million to $19 billion. A big part of Stern's strategy? Marketing the league's superstars and making them global icons. Magic and Larry leading the charge in the 80s. Then Jordan in the 90s and extending well into the 2000s with Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. The league took off globally under Stern's tenure, becoming the first professional sports league to play regular season games outside the U.S. and allowed its players to compete in the Olympics, beginning with the gold medal winning Dream Team in 1992. You envision all that's going on now. Europe, China, big TV contracts free agency guys being able to you know pick and control where they go and he was a great man it didn't come without some growing pains stern presided over four player lockouts and angered some players with tough disciplinary decisions and the adoption of an unpopular sideline dress code but his ability to adapt and grow the game over a 30-year span made him a titan of the sport He was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame in 2014, months after handing the reins over to his protege, Adam Silver. The reason I'm here is because of thousands of people, thousands of people over the years who have done so much. You're responsible for it, and the league is in spectacular shape going forward under the extraordinary leadership of Adam Silver. Thank you for having me. Good night. 
Nice little homage to the man that made sporting history. Uh, right, let's wrap things up for you. Let's start over in Spain. They're still playing over there? Yes, Tom. Uh, six minutes of added time and Real Madrid are leading Getafe by two goals to nil, courtesy of an own goal by the Getafe goalkeeper and a goal from Rafael Warane. Atletico Madrid take on Levante at 9.30. Espanyol at home to Barcelona at 11, sorry, at 12 o'clock tonight. What's happened in the rugby today, Mark Archer? Yeah, Gloucester have won the West Country derby Get against in. Bath. 29 points to 15. They've dominated the match at home. Uh, only in Bath in reply, Rhys Priestland kicked five penalties, but tries to Woodward Clark, Grobler, Ackerman, and uh, kicking, good kicking by Cipriani. Come back to the rugby shortly. Let's get over to Spain. Luka Modric scores Real Madrid's third of the night. And that's game over. Game set and match. Madrid back on top of the La Liga tonight. To King's home. Yeah, full-time King's home. So just in, in recap, Gloucester 29, Bath 15. Uh, result from earlier today, Leicester defeated uh, Bristol 31 points to 18. Saracens are going to have a big win against Worcester. They currently lead with, in the final minutes of this match 55 points to 5. Over to France, uh, Lyon have come from behind to defeat Argen and stay top of the top 14, 13 points to 12. Full-time also in uh, the top, uh, the Pro League, where Glasgow Warriors have defeated Treviso, 38 points to 19. Good on you, Arch. Uh, right, Robbie, uh, I've tried to buy us as much time as possible because you've got your work cut out Wow, I certainly do. Yeah, the goals have been absolutely flying in. An incredible comeback to bring you. But first of all, the first full-time result of this, I guess, batch of 7 p.m. kickoffs in the, uh, the third round. 7.01 p.m. kickoffs, I do beg your pardon, Tom. <laughs> in the third round of the FA Cup. Brighton, Hove Albion taking on Sheffield Wednesday. I can tell you that Wednesday have come out on top. It was Reach who got the goal, and Wednesday have won one goal to nil. We've also got a full-time whistle between Preston North End and Norwich City. Norwich Premier League side have won 4-2 in that game, and I did mention the goals have been pouring in. It's Brentford 1, Stoke City 0. It's Cardiff uh, and it's Cardiff City 2, Carlisle United 2. Fulham look to be beating Aston Villa. Um, they're 2-1 up in that game as we approach the fourth minute of stoppage time. Oxford United are thrashing Hartlepool United by a scoreline of four goals to one. It's Reading 2, Blackpool 2, Southampton 2, Huddersfield Town 0. And this is the really crazy result because Watford, I told you, were 3-0 up against Tranmere Rovers. Goals from Deli Bashiru, Chaloba and Pereira as well. It's 3-3 because Tranmere have come back. Jennings, Monte and Mullin through the penalty spot have equalised. Pereira, Ricardo Pereira has now just been sent off in the 89th minute for Watford. So what a disaster for Nigel Pearson's men. They were 3-0 up and cruising. It's now 3-3. They're staring a replay. They're staring having to go to Tranmere <laughs> in the face. They do not want that. Watford, in the position that they're in in the Premier League, do not need a third round FA Cup replay against Tranmere Rovers. So it's looking like it's going to finish 3-3 in that one. They're in the seventh minute of stoppage time. Watford there. Those are the latest scores on the doors in the third round of the FA Cup and we're looking ahead to Bournemouth taking on Luton, Fleetwood Town uh, taking on Portsmouth, Leicester play Wigan, Manchester City face Port Vale and Wolverhampton Wanderers will take on Manchester United at Molyneux in the tie of the round. All those games, Tom, kick off at 9.31. Exactly, at the one. Quite right too. Thank you very much indeed to you Mr Robbie Greenfield. Thanks for being part of the grill today. Much appreciated. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Monty, good to see you. Thank you Stato for doing that one. Uh, Arch, bless you. Thank you, our fellow. Thank you very much, Tom. Uh, we will uh, see uh, all these guys and many more in the months to come and hopefully see you down here at uh, Barasti where the game is always on. One thing that's been proven by this afternoon is that uh, goals uh, fly in when it comes to the FA Cup, none more so than in the third round. In fact, FA Cup third round is where some of the most iconic FA Cup goals have been scored. Good night. Trudy coming in! It's a brilliant header! That is unbelievable. It had to be Thierry Henry! Work from Cash, not a bad ball in, and it's not away yet. Holdings header, Lehigh. He's going for another! Eric Lehigh scores two! And what about that second one? That is unbelievable. The skill from Lehigh to chest it and then volley it into the far corner. He heads in from inches for the first, but he volleys in from 18 yards for the second. What a brilliant, brilliant goal. It's a long way back for Beresford. Alonso's gone for goal. 
Is it going in? It is! Extraordinary! Javier Alonso has secured Liverpool's place in round four. Such quick thinking by him. Ball on Beresford and come up for the corner. There was no way back. Had the better chances in this game, and this is Bergkamp. Oh, brilliant goal by Dennis Bergkamp! Look at this, dragging the ball back, dancing over it. It's one of the goals of the season, scored by one of the best players in Europe. That's Kolarov. And it's a brilliant free kick. And Manchester City with ten men to score the first goal of the second half. So Evra's protestations were perhaps justified as if he felt what was coming from the opposing left back. Well, it's a great free kick. Gets it over the top of the wall. Right in the corner, keep with a bit of pace. All through for Thierry Henry, what a moment! It had to be Thierry Henry! The script was written, and boy, he read it. Extraordinary! The gap there to the goalkeeper, Adrian's right. Oh, he finds it! It's high class from Kevin Morales. And I think the goalkeeper is showing him too much of that side. And he takes full advantage. West Ham 1, Everton 1. And here's a chance for Beckford. His touch has just took him a bit wide. Is it going to roll in? It is for Leeds United. His 20th goal of the season. And the one that's going to get the most publicity for his club and himself. Brown's beat for pace. Not a great first touch, but what a finish. And I think Brown or Kushak really covered themselves in glory here. What a finish from Beckford. It's come out to Neville. Now Arteta. Onto the favoured right foot. It's a little deep without too much power. Osman! That's a fine hit. Terrific strike. It's only Leon Osman's fourth goal of the season. And just before the interval, Everton break the deadlock. He got a piece of it, Brain, but he couldn't keep it out. What a strike that is. Wonderful technique. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.